Welcome back to the channel. In a September 8th article from Christianity Today called State of Theology, Evangelicals Hold Steady on Doctrine, More Outspoken on Politics, it talked about the doctrine of the Trinity and several other results that caused me to think we can have a series on this. So this is the first of the series, and I titled it, Is the Doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible? If that interests you, stick around. Welcome to WCKS, where we can't keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, thanks for coming back to the channel. Welcome to the channel. And I am totally thrilled that you are back with me. I'm your host, Michael Russell. And in today's episode, we want to kick start kicking off a series. This is the first time on this channel that we've done an actual series, so I'm a little bit thrilled about that, and I hope you are too. It is going to be starting with this episode called, Is the Doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible? Part two will be, Is Jesus God or just a man? And part three will be, Is the Holy Spirit just a force or is he a personal being? I hope this encourages you to come back and join us for the conversation. So let's get into our discussion today. In a recently released article from Christianity uh, Today, and the article is called, quote, State of Theology, Evangelicals Hold Steady on Doctrine, More Outspoken on Politics, end quote, there were several statistics that provoked my interest. The survey conducted by Lifeway Research in association with Legionnaires Ministry has been conducted in much the same way every year, every two years, beg your pardon, for the last uh, six years, so since 2014. So they conducted it in 14, 16, 18, and now 20. In this year's results for this series, we are going to be focusing on the doctrine of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and who he really is, and who the Holy Spirit is. However, in the survey, the identity of the Trinity was solid from evangelicals that they surveyed. Yet, later in the article, it goes on to outline there are several inconsistencies that are found within professing evangelicals. And I felt that going from the Trinity as kind of a level setting in this discussion, and then moving into those other concerns, it might be a good way to start. In the article, which I think, uh, with I, which I l- am leaving a link in the description, so whatever platform you're listening from, you should see the link to the article, and I encourage you to read it. Uh, in that article, we read a quote, When it comes to doctrine of God, evangelicals fare pretty well. Consistent with results from 2016 and 18, evangelicals' response, respondents were nearly unanimous in affirming that God is a perfect being at 97%, that God is a triune or a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at 69%, and that God cares about our day-to-day decisions at 87%, end quote. With this starting point, I think it is safe to say, based on these survey results, evangelical Christians believe God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
What the article also reveals when other questions are asked about the different persons of the Trinity is that they answer, their answer is in such a way exposing their ignorance to the doctrine of Christ or Christology and to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit or pneumatology. So I felt it necessary to start with the Trinity, again, as a foundation and then move into the others. So with the Trinity, the Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we'll move into Christology and soteriology a little bit, which is the plan of salvation. Uh, And then into the topic of pneumatology or the study of the Holy Spirit, the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. And the fact is that the Holy Spirit is that silent agent throughout scripture that we see pop up periodically, he has a very valuable role in the overall plan of salvation or soteriology, the the plan of God. And yet most evangelicals have a real hard time describing him, understanding him, expressing him. So with that introduction, let's get back to the survey. As noted, uh, quote, Consistent with results from 2016 and 18, evangelical respondents were nearly unanimous in affirming that God is a perfect being at 97% respondents, that God is a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 96%, and that God cares about our day-to-day decisions, 87%. So you evangelicals out there are doing great, (laughs) Believing that God is triune or a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is great at 96%. And for today, I will use the definition of the trinity that is found in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, most of us that are not, say, Catholic or maybe even um, Lutheran or Presbyterian, maybe some of the high... um, denominations, what I'm calling a high denomination, may not even know what a catechism is. But the catechisms were designed probably under the Catholic Church uh, prior to the Protestant Reformation. Um, but but the Westminster came about after the Reformation. Uh, but the catechisms came about as a way to inform the people, us, of doctrine. Those of us that uh, may not really be swimming in the theological institution lane. Um, So we're not going to seminary and things like that. How do we get the doctrine? And the fact is at the Sunday pulpit, a lot of times they don't have an opportunity to dig into just doctrinal teaching. And self-study oftentimes doesn't bring us to that level of rigor to develop the idea of the doctrines. So they um, developed Um, a way of going through different elements of the faith, essential doctrines and so on, um, in different uh, platforms or or approaches, systematic approaches, um, many times following a uh, 52-week format. So within a given year, if you followed it rigorously, you would get through all of the major doctrines or or beliefs of the church, uh, and then you could repeat the following year. So Sunday schools and stuff like that would go through these things. So I'm going to quote from that, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I'm quoting three questions, questions number four, five, and six, related to God. The first question is, what is God? 
And the answer given is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Question five is, are there more gods than one? Answer, there is but one only, the living and true God. Question six is, how many persons are there in the Godhead? Answer, there are three persons in the Godhead, Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So, there is the catechism. Now, what you don't know is after each answer, or in each answer, there are bracketed letters, letter A, B, C, D, for example, and each one of those letters is followed by a host of biblical passages that support the answer. So, for example, who is God? The answer is God is spirit, and then there's a bracket A, so letter A. And under letter A, there's a dozen different verses in Scripture from Old to New Testament that support that God is spirit. Now, what I'm going to do after going through a brief history is I'm going to reference a couple of those passages for each answer, just to kind of bust through it to support the idea. And right now, again, we're building on a foundation of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God, okay? And you'll find out in a moment why I'm going here. So before I go further, let me, uh, into those scriptures, let me support the affirmations of the Godhead and the Trinity um, with a brief history lesson. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of the early church battles over several centuries, really. It's not just years, it's over several centuries. Now, I'm going to quote a couple paragraphs out of a Wikipedia, which I know is not typically the, the best source of information. However, I think it does a decent job in giving an overview. This is not intended to be exhaustive, just an overview. And it's about the history of this idea of the Trinity and some different other battling heresies that were dealt with by the church over those years. So I pick up. And this is all a quote from the Wikipedia, which I'll have a link in the description below. It reads, The first of the early church fathers to be recorded using the word Trinity was Theophilus of Antioch, writing in the late 2nd century. He defines the Trinity as God, his word or logos, and his wisdom or Sophia in the context of a discussion of the first three days of creation, following the early church or early Christian practice of identifying the Holy Spirit as the wisdom of God. The first defense of the doctrine of the Trinity was in the early third century by the early church father Tertullian. He explicitly defined the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and defended his theology against praxias, though he noted that the majority of the believers in the, of the day found issue with his doctrine. So even then, it wasn't really uh, fully embraced. 
St. Justin of Clement, I'm sorry, St. Justin and Clement of Alexandria used the Trinity in their doxologies, and St. Basil likewise in the evening lighting of lamps. Origen of Alexandria, AD 185-253, has often been interpreted as subordinationists. Let's see, subordinationist, which some modern researchers have argued that Origen might have actually been an anti-subordinationist. Although there is much debate as to whether the beliefs of the apostles were merely articulated and explained in the Trinitarian creeds or were corrupted and replaced with new beliefs. All scholars recognize that the creeds themselves were created in reaction to disagreements over the nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to hear that, that the creeds that we see, especially in the early centuries of the church, church, let's say, kicked off in 31 to 34 AD at the crucifixion of Christ, and within a century, uh, there were heresies creeping into the church, and the church at large uh, began to come together and have, um, cr- you know, uh, conferences and such to discuss these concerns and, and uh, try to understand what do we believe as a, as a religious organization. Uh, the very first example of that would be in Acts uh, 15 with the uh, First Jerusalem Council and dealing with um, salvation by grace through faith versus salvation by works, uh, which we see in Acts chapter 15. So we continue to read. Of these controversies, the most significant developments were articulated in the first century by the church fathers in rejection to adoptionism, Sabellianism, and Arianism. Adoptionism was the belief that Jesus was an ordinary man born of Joseph and Mary who became the Christ and the Son of God at his baptism. So, in essence, he was uh, adopted at the baptism itself, and now he's God's Son. In 269, the synods of Antioch condemned Paul of Samosota, Samosota, for his adoptionist theology, and also condemned the term homoousis, or of the same being, in the modalist sense of the use of the word. So homoousis is a Greek word that means of the same essence or being, and in the context of the adoptionists, use of that term, it was more along the lines of a modalist or a believer that God is just one being, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just manifestations of a sort of that one being, which was condemned. And we'll read further. Among the non-Trinitarian beliefs, Sabellianism taught that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are essentially one and the same, the difference being simply verbal describing different aspects or roles of a single being. So that's similar to the modalist's type view. For this view, Sibelius was excommunicated for heresy in Rome in 220 AD. In the 4th century, 
Arianism, as traditionally understood, taught that the Father existed prior to the Son, who was not, by nature, God, but rather a changeable creature who was granted the dignity of becoming the Son of God. Now, in 325, the first uh, Council of Nicaea adopted the Nicene Creed, which described Christ as, quote, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, or homoiesis, with the Father, end quote. And the, quote, Holy Ghost, end quote, as the one which, quote, was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, end quote. And that would be the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's basically a reference from John, the first chapter of uh, the Gospel of John. It goes on and says, about the Father and the Son, the Creed used the term homoesis of one substance to divine the relationship between the Father and the Son. So they are of one substance. That's what the Nicene Creed or the Council of Nicaea found or, or adopted, and that was in 325 AD, some almost 300 years after the crucifixion of Christ. Okay, So this is a big deal, and they're wrestling with it for quite a long time. Um, where are we at? After more than 50 years of debate, homoiesis was recognized as the hallmark of orthodoxy, of one, at one substance, okay? And was further developed into the formula of three persons, one being. So our more modern-day Trinitarian definition. It goes on, the confession of the First Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed, said little about the Holy Spirit, at the First Council of Nicaea in 325, all attention was focused on the relationship between the Father and the Son, making, without making any similar statements about the Holy Spirit. And the, the creed that came out of it, quote, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, homonoesis, with the Father. And then it goes on, and we believe in the Holy Ghost. Okay, so that's, that's all it really said about the Holy Spirit at the time. Okay. And the reason was the focus that they were trying to mitigate or deal with, the heresy they were dealing with, is whether or not Jesus was God and part of the Godhead. Okay? That was the focus. Later, I'm, I'm continuing in the reading, later at the First Council of Constantinople, 381, some 50 years later, roughly, the Nicene Creed would be expanded, known as... Uh, Niceno Constantinopolitan Creed, sorry for butchering, by saying that the Holy Spirit is worshipped and glorified together with the Father and the Son, suggesting that he was also uh, consubstantial 
with them. In other words, he was part of them, in it, of it, of the same essence, substance. Okay. It goes on now with a revised Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, homoousis, and in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. We spake by the prophets, end quote. And that's the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. I continue reading. The doctrine of the divinity and personality of the Holy Spirit was developed by Athanasius in the last decade of his life. He defended and refined the Nicene formula by the end of the 4th century, late 300s, under the leadership of Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nessi, uh, Nysa, and Gregory of Nazareth, Nazarianus, the doctrine had reached substantially its current form. Okay. Forgive me for some of the butchery there, but I think you get the idea. The point I was trying to make in was in history, this topic, this doctrine of the Trinity has been battled over and for good reason. If you remove the deity of Christ, you have a real problem with how he is able to uh, be the substitute for us, this idea of atoning and uh, propitiation and substitutionary death becomes to or, or begins to have some problems. Um, and it's not just a matter of filling a theological belief, it's reflecting a biblical truth. And that's what I want to get into as we go forward here. We're focused again on the Trinity as a foundational platform that will launch us into the next couple episodes. So due to the statistics, we are going to be working through the Trinity. The next time we're going to be looking at the deity of Christ. Then the following episode, we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit. As the article also points out that the Holy Spirit is a topic of limited understanding for those evangelicals surveyed. So if you understand the Trinity, to be defined as, and this is a working definition, quote, within the nature of the one true God, there are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each is the same in substance and equal in power and glory. Then you are on the money. If you buy that, you're good. We're good. If you don't buy that, if you don't believe that, if you have some issues with that, then we have some work to do. And that's where we're going to go now. So let's define God again through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question number four is, what is God? And the answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So in support of that, I'm going to throw out a dozen passages that support this, and I'll reference what part of the definition they support.
So God is spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The answer is God is infinite. 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So he is infinite. That God is eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God is eternal. God is an unchangeable, is unchangeable in his being. So I'm going to read two. One is unchangeable and unchangeable in his being. That would be James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So no variation, no shadow due to change. Also, First um, Timothy 1, 17. To the king of ages, of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's unchangeable in his being, immortal, invisible, the only God, king of ages. Okay. God is unchangeable in his wisdom. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 4, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? So he is unchangeable in wisdom, unchangeable in power. We see that in Jeremiah 17. Oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. He is unchangeable in power. He's unchangeable in holiness. Uh, Exodus chapter 30, uh, I beg your pardon, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So he's unchangeable in his holiness. He's unchangeable in his justice. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passes before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of their fathers on the children and the, on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he is unchangeable in justice. He's unchangeable in goodness. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Oh, I'm sorry, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So God is unchangeable in his goodness. He is not he's not just throwing down his wrath immediately. He's delaying to give us time to repent and and become believers. Praise the Lord. 
and he's unchangeable in truth. Psalm 86:15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The word faithfulness can be understood as truth. You, you are faithful to your word. You are true to your word, okay? Now, question two is, or question five, which is the second question we've looked at, says, are there more gods than one? The answer is, there is but one only, the living and true God. And our passages for reference will come from Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And also John chapter 17, 3, which says, And this is eternal life, that they knew you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we talked about the um, answer being, there is but one only, the living God, living and true God. So those two passages talk about there is only one God, only one true God, okay? And question six, the third question was, how many persons are there in the Godhead? And the answer is there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And my two references, three references I'll make are Matthew three sixteen through 17, which read, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So clearly, the Father is talking about his Son. So we see all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit referenced in the baptism of Jesus. Romans chapter 9, verse 5, it says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. So that now uses the Jesus's uh, messianic title or the the Christ uh, in Hebrew it's Messiah and in Greek it's Christ and Christ who is God so clearly Christ is God and Acts chapter 5 verse 3 and 4 the story of Ananias and Sapphira it says but Peter asked but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it, was while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have conceived or contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So we connect verse three, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And it ends with, you have not lied to man, but to God, God, the Holy Spirit. So these passages support the idea that how many persons are there in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Those are the three. They are referred to as God. Praise the Lord. So we have supported the case of the Trinity within the Bible and the fact that this has been and continues to be fought over. 
and it is one of the essential beliefs within Christianity. And yet, with a belief in the Trinity, it appears one can still have an aberrant view of Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As a reminder, next episode we'll be focusing on our attention our attention on the Son, and the title of it will be, Is Jesus God or Just a Man? where we will address more details of the article that we've been reading from in hopes to clear this up and bring about an orthodox view of Christ. Then the following episode, we'll be discussing the Holy Spirit. And the title of that episode will be, Is the Holy Spirit just a force or is he a person, a personal being? You want to come back for both of these episodes. If you're enjoying the content of this podcast and haven't yet subscribed or followed to the the channel, please do. And we're on many of the podcasting platforms, and those platforms often allow you to leave a comment as well. I'd love to hear from you. Also, you can share the channel with others as uh, we tackle many different challenges in life and what the Bible has to say about them. You can also reach me via email at wecantkeepsilent at gmail.com. That's all one word, no no hyphens or anything. Wecantkeepsilent at gmail.com. And I would love to correspond with you. Thank you so much for joining me and sticking around until the end of this podcast. I look forward to having you back next time. Be blessed.